Verve is a global collective of badass intersectional feminists. Our persisterhood connects women globally online and on land through activism, volunteerism, fundraising, awareness campaigns, and Prosecco think tanks. We want to welcome you to our weekly audio recording of the blogs published on Verve She Said this week. Our bloggers write from all over the world about feminist issues they give a shit about. Just like listening to a podcast, we hope that by creating a Verve blog audio library, we will make it easier for you to stay in touch and be in the know about all things Verve. Hi, this is Chanji Mwanza, and I'll be hosting today's blogcast along with Yaz Omran, Verve's social media and content manager. Today's blogcast is all about feminist sheroes. We'll be reading a couple of our blogs, celebrating some amazing women around the world, and chatting about who is on our current Shiro radar. Without further ado, I hand the mic over to Yaz. I'll be reading from my blog, She's Got Verve, Ahitsmimi, A Girl With Guts. This blog was originally posted on Verve's She Said blog on December 28th, 2018. On December 15th, 2017, 16-year-old Ahitamimi performed an act of defiance against an occupation, leading to her worldwide recognition as a symbol of resistance. Like most of the movements sparked by young girls and women this year, her goal to overturn and eradicate the imperialistic and patriarchal systems that not only occupy territories, but the people within them deserve to be spoken about. Ahitamimi is not just an activist, but like Malala Yousafzai, deserves a place within modern feminism. Since the age of 11, she has tirelessly demonstrated against the systemic oppression and abhorrent treatment of her family and fellow Palestinians. Her bravery and activism have been recognized by Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas as well as Turkish Prime Minister Recep Tayyip Erdogan, but also ignited fear and discontent amongst Israeli officials, garnering her the nickname Shirley Temper. She has fought against the theft of land and water by settlers as well as Trump's preservation of legislations that contribute to the erosion of Palestine's identity. While support of Tamimi's activism circulated amongst Arab feminist groups, it was wildly disregarded within Western feminist discourse at the time. On December 15th, Tamimi's teenage cousin Mohammed was demonstrating at a Trump protest and was shot in the face with a rubber-coated bullet by Israeli armed forces. Hours later, soldiers entered Tamimi's yard to perform a nighttime raid on her home. In retaliation, she slapped the soldiers across the face, resulting in her arrest four days later. At 16, Tamimi became one out of over 300 Palestinian child prisoners, where she faced 12 charges in the court with a 99.7% conviction rate. Ahed Tamimi was a victim of a systemic issue American feminists should be familiar with, an institution of criminal justice designed specifically to keep an oppressed minority incarcerated without due process. Tamimi faced eight months in prison, where she experienced several violations. Illegal interrogations carried out by male officers, threats against her friends, comments on her body, and the legitimacy of her race. Tamimi even faced a journalist calling for her rape and murder while an Israeli minister suggested she end her life in prison. Despite this, her imprisonment was protested all over the world and shone a light on child incarceration. Tamimi used her detention as an opportunity to educate herself and her peers. She organized study groups where she spent her sentence learning international law, inspiring her to escalate her advocacy for Palestine's liberation to international courts. Within hours of her release, she was met by Palestinian president, whilst two Italian artists painted a mural of her face on Israel's separation barriers that divides Palestinian territories. 
Tamimi has become an icon of a rebellious young generation of Palestinians, and emerging even stronger and more determined to convey the pains and struggles of her people to the world. Tamimi's rage is powerful, and that's why her girl power has been labelled as dangerous. Her activism is highly political, and embodies decades of Palestinian resistance. Her feminism cannot simply be packaged as the highly sexual empowered femininity that the West and its political figures so often favour. She seeks justice against oppression and advocates a vision of communal care rather than the empowerment that only benefits herself. Her feminism is not attractive because it wants to tackle settler colonialism. We cannot continue to be selective in our humanitarianism if we want to abolish these oppressive systems. We must continue to support young activists who fight against the ugly injustice of state-sanctioned violence, no matter how unattractive and uncomfortable it may be. As 2018 has shown us, young girls and women have had to broadcast their pain and traumas in front of the world in order to protect and prevent the same fate befalling others. Although her story gained a disproportionate amount of attention from international media, Tamimi no longer feeds the image of the helpless Palestinian victim. Instead, she is strong, young, agent of change. Tamimi and many young activists illuminate the toxic side effects of these harmful systems and how they refuse to inherit them. Tamimi perfectly demonstrates how feminism and social justice are bound together as one. Celebrating young girls like Malala or Tamimi has shown us that oftentimes it is the voice of a young girl from a marginalized community that can be the much needed spark for large scale global change. Fighting an oppressive body wrought with toxic masculinity cannot be represented more beautifully than the image of a young girl slapping a soldier in the face. A slap so loud it was heard around the world. Now over to Chanju for her Shira blog. Five Women Who Should Have Received the UAE Gender Balance Index Awards was published on Verve, she said, on 27th January 2019. On 27th January, the United Arab Emirates appeared to take a progressive step towards gender equality. They held an awards evening for the Gender Balance Index 2018, praising individuals for their contribution to making the UAE a more equal society. The awards included Best Personality for Supporting Gender Balance, Best Federal Entity for Supporting Gender Balance, and the Best Initiative for Supporting Gender Balance. The UAE packaged the whole event as a feminist success for a region that in 2016 had the lowest rate of female participation in the workforce at just under 22%. Yet, Ironically, every single award from the event went to men. Rather than demonstrating great initiatives for gender equality, the event has been shrouded in bad press, reinforcing the fact that much more is needed to make gender equality a reality in the UAE. So, while the government may have failed to praise women for their roles in improving gender equality in the region, I decided to have my own gender equality awards that shine a light on the achievements of Emirati women. Best Personality for Smashing the Glass Ceiling of Emirati Politics Sheikha Lubna Al-Kazimi is the first woman to hold a ministerial post in the United Arab Emirates and is currently the Minister of State for Tolerance. Her main mission is to promote tolerance and instill its core principles as a fundamental value in UAE community and the globe. In 2017, she was featured in the Forbes Power Women 2017 list for her role in creating a platform of acceptance and diversity in the UAE. She not only advocates for women's rights, but also supports the destigmatization of the most marginalized groups in the UAE. 
She sits on the board of the Dubai Autism Centre and is an avid volunteer with the Society Friends of Cancer Patients. Not only is she breaking down barriers for women in politics, she is also on a mission to ensure that no person is discriminated against, putting the most marginalised groups up on a pedestal. Next, we have the best personality for giving women access to male-dominated environments, Mariam Al-Mansouri. When it comes to combat roles, women in the UAE have traditionally been denied access to fight for their country. For decades, women were banned from training in the Air Force or becoming pilots. It had always been considered a male environment. That is, until Mariam Al-Mansouri came along and became one of the first women to join the UAE Air Force Academy, graduating in 2007. But she didn't stop there. Al-Mansouri went on to be the first female fighter pilot in the UAE. In 2015, she was listed as one of the 100 most powerful Arab women by Arabian Business Magazine. Mariam Al-Mansouri has become a symbol of defiance against extremism and proactivity in the fight against ISIL, showing women everywhere that you can break down barriers and thrive in a male-dominated industry. Third, we have the best personality for uplifting other women, Sheikha Manal bint Mohammed Al-Maktoum. Sheikha Manal bint Mohammed Al-Maktoum is the president of Dubai Women Establishment and shines the limelight on other women's achievements in the UAE. In 2003, she founded the Dubai Ladies Club to facilitate informal business meetings and corporate events for women. She helps other women develop their talents, gain financial independence through business ventures and prove to the world that women in the UAE have agency to create their own business opportunities. Next, we have the best personality for tirelessly fighting for women's rights, Sheikha Fatima bint Mubarak. Sheikha Fatima bint Mubarak, also known as the mother of the UAE, has dedicated over 40 years to combating gender inequality and giving women a voice in the UAE. She is considered a driving force for the full participation of women and the disabled in the economic and civic life of the United Arab Emirates and a strong devotee of social justice. She spearheaded the women's movement in the UAE and in 1973 established the nation's first organisation dedicated to promoting the equality and advancement of women. She has been a strong advocate for girls' education and continues to head up the United Arab Emirates Women's Federation, which she founded in 1975. If there's anyone who deserves to be recognised for their contributions to taking the UAE one step closer to gender equality, it's her. Lastly, we have Best Personality for Disabled Women's Advocacy, Thuraya Al-Zahabi. After suffering a stroke at age 29, Thuraya Al-Zahabi was left paralysed on her left side, but she didn't let this restrict her. Al-Zahabi turned her disability into an empowering message for women in the UAE and became the first Emirati woman to compete in the Paralympic Games after the nation lifted the ban on women athletes. It wasn't a smooth sailing journey. It took years of rehabilitation and determination, but resulted in gold medals in javelin and shot put in the 2010 Asian Games in China. She's become an advocate for disabled women's participation in sports, and since her Olympic appearance, 11 more women with disabilities have reached competitive levels of sport in the UAE. While the UAE Gender Balance Index Awards may have omitted women from the narrative, it's our job to make sure that their achievements aren't overlooked. Women in the United Arab Emirates have been spearheading movements, establishing powerhouse businesses and advocating for marginalised Emirati communities for decades. 
They aren't passive benefactors of gender equality initiatives led by men, as portrayed in the images of the awards. They are the leaders, the creators, and the agents of change. So now we're going to dive straight into discussing our blogs. Yes, what inspired you to write this blog? I think the appearance of um, Muslim women and girls has been so regulated by the media Mm -hmm. that, you know, whenever we have the opportunity to celebrate a Muslim girl or woman who's been active in, like, protest or something like Ahed Tamimi, which is fighting against, like, settler colonialism, I think it's something that should be celebrated rather than, um, like, heavily criticised, which most of the time I think Muslim women and girls are. I think when you think about Muslim women and in conjunction with protests, people automatically think about, like, the hijab or, like, their abaya, which is maybe more threatening than... I had Tamimi, who honestly looks quite European, and maybe that's why she's got a bit more attention. But I think it's important, regardless of how she looks, to talk about what she's fighting against, which is living within an oppressive state. Exactly, and I think that's something that I found as well. I was quite shocked when I was reading all those articles talking about the UAE Gender Balance Awards and seeing that they've all been celebrated by men and there weren't any women in the photos but then it also just made me think about the media in the west has caught on to this and again are presenting these other societies as you know really negative and doing all this bad things but and not one of those articles mentioned you know a significant woman in the uae or mentioned saying okay but yes this is this towards have been um, represented by men but actually when I looked a bit further some two of them were actually awarded to um, groups which had involved women it's just that the men were the ones representing them and I think that the western media could have actually used this as an opportunity to say okay look the images from these awards have been focusing on these men but actually look at these amazing women from the UAE who are doing amazing stuff um, and look at the initiatives that they've done and that's what inspired me to actually do this article and say that yeah okay it's a bit crap that Mm -hmm. they focused on the men but actually there are women there doing amazing stuff yeah did you find it hard to find these women yes yeah and one thing that I really struggle with and is the fact that in this article when you look at the women a lot of them are actually sheikhs um, Mm -hmm. daughters of you know influential influential men Um, it was very difficult to find people who were just regular women who've actually done something significant and I don't think that they're being celebrated and we need people to be going out and actually looking for these stories because it's not that these women don't exist Mm -hmm. it's that no one bothers to write about them yeah I do find it's really hard to find good content especially like any coverage on these kind of women um, especially people of colour in Asia or like in Arab countries, it's, you really have to dig hard to find information about them to like give them exposure. And obviously you want to like give them justice. Most of the time it's going to be given to the most privileged people. It's a good thing that they're using their platform and their privilege to help other women. While it's great, it's kind of a shame that we can't learn more about these other people exactly. who work on the ground, who don't have the same backgrounds as these women who are children of influential men who have given them the money to do these things. Exactly. Like, there are definitely initiatives and things that your regular Emirati woman, for example, is Mm -hmm. doing that is actually combating 
significant issues in the country, but we don't hear about them. Yeah. And that's a challenge. Like, how do we find out about them, especially in a place where women's stories aren't being celebrated? Yeah. I think that's exactly why I thought writing about Ahitamimi was so important. Yeah. Because, you know, like, I, I compared her to, like, Malala, who her story is insane. I remember listening to a podcast with her and Oprah and she describes exactly what happened to her. And it's insane, but the same thing has happened to Ahed on a different scale where she's living in a constant state of violence and oppression and fear. And um, women and young girls have had a really important role to play in fighting against this. And a lot of times when we talk about Palestine and resistance, I think they just think of these victims or these terrorists. They don't think about these women or girls or the other people within these communities that advocate for communal care and looking after each other and trying to survive rather than just working with a terrorist organization exactly. to stay alive. Like there is, There's so much more to it than that. And it's great that she's been publicized, but um, there have been so many negative press about her too it's just interesting to me that people think that when you're in a violent situation that you need to always take the higher road and you aren't allowed to be violent but like she is a child and she's a child of a really toxic environment and I think it's completely natural to react in the way she did and I guess we're talking about these women who react to their environments in the best way that they can which is either through institutional change or participating in what they can it's just important that we always constantly talk about these people because how else are they going to survive or how else is their influence going to survive in history? Exactly, and I think that point on women acting like around their environment because when you think about um, when we talk about freedom fighters, for example, mm-hmm. like they weren't all peaceful. They needed to use violence in some respects to be able to get to the place that they were. Yeah, no, but... You know, we need to be thinking about how we portray these women in contrast to how we might have portrayed men who have done these significant things. Like this, why is it that she's receiving so much negative feedback because of that? Why do you think it is that these stories tend to be ignored? Like, for example, in school I was never taught about any significant Arab women, for example. Um, I think we were taught maybe about the classic, like, Rosa Parks, maybe. Mm -hmm. I think that's genuinely it. And I think back, like, in history classes and everything, we're not taught about non-white heroes, basically. And why do you think that's the case? Well, I was in the same situation. I went to an international school, it was British, but we never learned about these influential women, especially in Arab or African countries, even Asian countries, really. Most of the time, if we were talking about revolutions or, you know, independence in Asia, it would be like India, we'll talk about Gandhi, talk about China and Mao, but never about women. Like, the most I learned to think about women was probably in Europe during World War when they had to work in the factories. That was the extent of like our feminist history growing up. And I don't know if it's because these institutions are just so used to othering these people and in as a consequence women that 
it's just not completely not in their radar to even talk about these people. Mm. And I think it's cyclical. So when there's no interest in these institutions of education or whatever to diversify our history, that it will just, it will never happen unless I think students maybe actively ask about these people. And even then it's like, you really do have to dig. Um, I wrote an article about Egyptian feminists that basically helped Egypt gain independence. And I had no idea these people existed. And a lot of the time, especially with, I don't like using this term loosely, but third world countries, um, women and feminism is in usually in conjunction with nationalism. And so you can imagine that they play a really important role in the country's identity. And um, honestly, it's just, I think we have racist history. Like, I think that's just what it is, especially with our school systems. They they just don't care. And I think I was like, I felt very lucky enough to even learn about Asia, Mm -hmm. Asia, Asian history in a British curriculum. When I came here and I was talking to peers at uni who have taken the same classes as me, they only learned about Europe or America. Yeah. And it was because my teachers actively went out to teach us about these courses and you know teachers here have the choice to teach about those countries too but they just don't because maybe it's easier or they just don't want to dabble in it but um yeah I think it's just something we need to advocate for really and I think the like irony is the fact that you can't call British history just you know this island like yeah i'm sorry but if you're gonna go colonize half the world (laughs) then half the world is your history you need to learn about that history you need to know about those people you need to understand what their freedom struggles were what their fights were you need to know the significant people in their histories so while britain's still proud to be like oh we've got the commonwealth blah blah Mm -hmm. blah okay yeah but how many of your school children know about what you've done done? yeah exactly how many people how are you teaching this to the mm-hmm. next generations? And the fact that we're not learning this in history is just going to mean that, again, in the future, kids aren't going to know about this. Kids aren't going to seek it out unless they have significant people in their lives, like teachers or parents or relatives who are interested in these histories. And it shouldn't be a case that these histories are only there for people that seek them out. It should be a case that these histories are taught to everyone. Yeah, I totally agree. I know it's great for us to say, okay, yeah, we should be having these discussions, but in reality, it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. What do you think the best way to get these stories out there are, basically? I think, honestly, even what we're doing now, we might not necessarily have the same outreach to others through writing work, because, like, podcasts are so important in helping people learn about, like, alternative histories. That's exactly how I learned. Like, when I was 17, I, um... I grew up in a really small country where history is really not a thing discussed. So I really had to seek out information to just kind of change the palette of it. And um, I found podcasts really helped. Through those podcasts, I learned about these writers who published what, what's like series mm-hmm. on these kind of people. So, you know, we kind of do the same thing at Verve where writers will talk about a series of women that they're really interested in, which is exactly what we've done with our Shiro's. Going out there, talking about them, having yeah. conversations, listening to podcasts, like educating yourself and just sharing it with people. Yeah, I think sharing it is the most important. Like, I totally get really excited whenever I learn about these kind of things. Like, when I 
read about Ahitamimi, I shared it with everyone in my family, I shared it with my friends, um, when I wrote about the three Egyptian women who started Egypt's feminist consciousness. That's incredible. We, we need to be discussing this more openly. I don't know if it's the same for everyone, if they're as interested, but I think it's something that we should talk about anyway. Yeah, like, it should be. Like, it should yeah. Be like, yeah, this is amazing. I'm going to share it with everyone I know. I think, you know, as well, feminism goes beyond Hollywood and stuff. Exactly. And I think it's important to engage in, engage in this side of it, too. Exactly. I think what we're saying here is actually if we want to be getting these stories out there making sure that we're sharing more about significant women in history we need to be having these conversations with everyone not just in our friendship groups but at work at i don't know the pub but in a cafe just strike up a conversation just be like oh hey have you heard about ahmed tamimi (laughs) like then go on you know um thank you so much um yes for reading and your blog and having your first podcast experience thank you stay tuned for more articles by us um we're both regular contributors to the verve she said blog if you'd like to take a look at any of my blogs or yaz's blogs head over to verveup.com and just search our names and you'll find articles by us you can also check out my website www.chanjumwanza.com and stay in the know about all the projects that i'm up to That concludes this week's blogs on Verve She Said. Join us next week for more badass blogs from your favorite Verve feminists. Remember, activism could be as simple as subscribing to Verve's weekly wrap-up and following us on at Verve underscore up on Instagram and Twitter. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Huge thanks to all our listeners, followers, subscribers, and supporters. You are our sheroes. Sheroes.